Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast, presented exclusively on the Chop Sports channel of the Premier Streaming Network. I am your host, Laurent Cortines. We are recording this on Monday, February 6th. In this episode, Dyche destroys Arsenal in a masterclass. Liverpool predictably slip again like Stevie G and City sleepwalk in London. But first, FFP for Man City again. Okay, Um, I know that the title of this is about FFP and my feelings as a supporter. And frankly, it doesn't really get to me anymore. Uh, I used to feel this sort of compulsion to defend the club as though Man City was me or that I represent the club or that that I should protect them. But as I think about what the purpose of some of what the uh, Sheikh Mansour's purchase of City is for is so that he can buy the institutional strength of the community of a football club. And I'm not going to give him that. I don't care about my owners. I don't care about Sheikh Mansour. I don't care about Khaldun. I don't care about Pep. I don't care about any of it. I care about the club. Manchester City, how they do, how they play, what they make me feel inside. And one of these days, you you feel shitty. You know, it's, it's, it's sad, it sucks, um, and it doesn't feel good. But let me go back and sort of for what you're looking for is like what happened? What are the what are the who, what, whens, and whys and where's? So uh, Manchester City, as we know, purchased by Sheikh Mansour and the United Arab Emirates. He's a, if not a state actor, one step away from the state. Uh, and he bought Manchester City in 2008 and essentially begins modern Manchester City history. But there are a hundred years of history before, and that institutional memory is still with the club. So hold on to that. Um, And from the beginning, uh, City spent lots of money, uh, state sovereign wealth fund. Uh, Rabinho famously comes in on the transfer window. He didn't even know he was signing for Manchester City. And there's a build and a build over two years. First Mark Hughes, then Mancini, uh, and that core group of players begins to grow company, Zabaleta, Clichy, Nazri, Silva, Yaya Torre, Korolev, Nigel De Jong, um, Gareth Barry, Julian Lescott, all those heroes of, of the early years uh, when we won the first FA Cup in 2010 with Yaya and Mancini just driving the club on to amazing levels of madness alienating everyone. He was a complete asshole. Um, But in that process, City had to break rules. That's a fact. Um, That's not to be denied. There were rules put in place. I don't know the exact date of FFP, but somewhere around Chelsea being brought in, somewhere around uh, a couple clubs going bankrupt. In Europe, there was a concept called financial fair play, which was brought in. Essentially, it is a system by which a team may only spend may only spend double what its revenue is, essentially. So if your club has revenue of $500 million, you can borrow against that up to a billion. Uh, 
And what does that do? It locks in its regulatory capture. So rich teams were pulling up the moat saying, oh, we're rich. We can borrow up to X money. Since you're new, there's no way you have revenue that can match that. And so you can't possibly spend your way to the top. This was specifically designed to stop Manchester City, PSG, Chelsea, and at the time, uh, QPR was one of those clubs with Fernandez, but he actually got swept up in it. And City, wanting to be a winner, wanting to take on Manchester United, understanding that in football, winning requires money, and winning is what brings you contracts and money and glory, broke the rules. They hid money. They inflated um, inflated sponsorships so that a $5 million sponsorship became a $50 million sponsorship because that meant then they could spend $100 million instead of $10 million. So multiply that out by every single sponsorship you see and City, whatever. City had breached. We did get a transfer ban. We did pay fines. We were clear from Europe up till 2014 and paid a penalty. Fine, we were clear to that. Uh, and City were moved along and we kept going. We never got a ban. Uh, and then there was another attempt by UEFA to take out City after the um, football leaks in 2019, which was similar to WikiLeaks, but this was about sports, a Portuguese hacker. And that was all leaked to Build, which is in Germany, which is notoriously pro-Bayern Munich, and Germany is the most sanctimonious country in the world. And they slowly, whenever there was a Champions League game that City had to play Bayern, they'd release these cables of things that City did. And City, to their credit or to by their right, would just go in with billion-dollar lawyers and fight these things. Okay, City got clear to the last one. Uh, there was a $50 million fine, and City fought it down to $10 million based on leaked emails. Okay, this latest uh, thing is... That city, an investigation by the Premier League. So they passed all the European things, and now they're with City. Now they're with the Premier League. And the Premier League's process is there is no statute of limitations. One of the ways that City got off from UEFA and went to the Court of Sport in Europe was that there was a statute of limitations and financial irregularities could not be reviewed, and there was no double jeopardy. We couldn't be banged for the things we had already paid for. So this is a new trial based on uh, members of the Premier League saying, hey, this isn't fair. Eight teams, as Pep Guardiola said. And essentially, there's a hundred different financial irregularities going back the last nine years. from Sorry, from 2009 forward. Um, a lot of them are basically misstating revenue and repeatedly re re uh, misstating it. The issue, as some of you who may be accountants know, is once you state your revenue from 2009 and you have your rules in place from 2009 and you've exp and you've said, this is my 2009 revenue, this is my 2010 revenue. If you have the lie in it and you keep moving it forward, you simply have nine years of the lie. So it's this one lie leading to another lie. So all the financial irregularities, all of it are just extended through time. The fundamental question that the Premier League is asking through an independent arbiter is have Premier, have Manchester City as a team, as executives, knowingly misstated all of their financial information over, over those nine years.
And essentially, that's the question they're going to ask. Can they prove that City knowingly obstructed and lied about their revenue? And those worth a hundred. There's five. There's there's something about hidden money to Roberto Mancini. There's something about hidden money to Yaya Torre's agent. There's something about you know lowering the cost of things and inflating the value of other things. Very I, a modern analogy is this is very Trump. <laughs> you know the way Trump would say, "Oh, I didn't pay any taxes because my because I went into debt," and then inflating the value of something when it beats uh, suits his um, benefits for city fans. I just spent time listening to the great esteemed company, Stephen McInerney, great guy, one of the best city bloggers, and probably the only one I listen to, vloggers, excuse me, at YouTube channels, fantastic, esteemed company, link, subscribe, love it, he's the best, always positive, doesn't mix his identity as a husband and a father with his supporting of the club, never yells, gets upset, gets happy, is joyful, but never loses his mind, and he's great. Um, he said, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's not me. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed to support City. I'm not ashamed of my team or my club or what happens. Yeah, we fight. We talk shit. But pff, some rich guy bought my team and talking shit. And he lied and he cheated. If City go down, City go down. I'm just going to follow City no matter what. This is just how it is. Um, now, so what could the ramifications of this be? Based on a a, um, uh, a clubhouse chat that I listened to on Twitter today from an accountant who worked for City, the previous owners, and is a very honest guy, he was. This is very serious. Um, City are in trouble. This is a black and white issue. Did City lie and knowingly cheat? And you know, is there a leak? You know, this is about financial and accounting malfeasance. Um, is it a big deal to me? No, because the rules are there for regulatory capture so that Real, Barca, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Spurs could just stay atop the league forever. And they didn't like when a nouveau riche team kicked down the door and, and PSG kicked down the door and these weird moneyed Arabs took over their little toy that they could play for in Europe. And God knows what these people in their turbans are doing. Turbans, they're not turbans. So there's a little bit of a of a foreign, anti-foreign, anti-immigrant, anti-oil, anti-Arab thing going on. And that's okay. I'm not in Europe. I don't live in Manchester. I, it's not my thing. But the so the case has been presented by the Premier League. It now goes to the arbitration of sport and a third party, three-member panel in arbitration, and they ultimately decide what happens. It's completely unprecedented. This has never happened in the Premier League. And this committee, independent committee, essentially has unlimited power. They can do whatever they want. There's no guidelines. There's no say. City could get point deduction. City could lose transfers. City could be kicked out of the Premier League. Anything is possible. Um, my guess is that it will be harsh. And it will take a long time. So all of this is private. Everything will be behind closed doors. They'll pop out and we'll get a message in two years or a year of the ruling. And that's what will happen. So City just have to live under that spell, in that damage, in that world 
for the next year or two. And it kind of explains some of the malaise that City's been under, if they knew indeed that this was going on and that it was being felt and was floating around within the context of the club. But, you know, as a City fan, this is where I am. You know, this is what has happened. This is where we live now. And we just have to deal with it. We have to take the shit of your cheaters, you're this, you're that. No one likes us and we don't care, ultimately. You know, no one likes City. We're nouveau riche, we're gauche, we're gross, we're we're the unsinkable Molly Brown, we're the, you know, we're the Beverly Hillbillies of football. So who cares, you know? You don't like us anyway. So I'm not gonna fucking kiss your ass to 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 make you feel good. So you can go pretend you won your titles because City won. You can have Liverpool and Manchester United can say they won titles when they when we know that City kicked their ass all those seasons. So now I'm starting to get angry, but um, it's gonna suck, and that's where it is. Um, I just have to eat it. But let's go to the actual football, even though it's a little less interesting than this story. Um, we have to go to Arsenal. Before this story popped up and sort of ruined my day, um, the story was John Dyche taking over for for um, for Frank Lampard and just getting in there and really just kicking the teeth out of Arsenal. It was amazing. Um, Everton were strong. Everton had energy. Everton prevented Arsenal from playing. I watched and shared a, a TIFO uh, IRL video on it. And it was just great to see um, Everton play with fire and fight and have that team show up. Uh, Gay, Dekure, Onana in the midfield with power and strength. Awobi uh, on the wing. And it just be a complete fight to the death and you just saw what the power of a good coach is everton completely deserved this win completely they created more chances they roughed arsenal up arsenal never really created anything there was an early chance from inketia but really this was about you know the power of a collective the power of a group the power of grafting this was the real deal. This is what you get with Dyche. Um, I think we're going to find out. I think this is a real moment for Sean Dyche. I think we're going to find out what a good coach he was. Um, yeah, he stayed at Burnley all that time, and he did go down. But I think like Eddie Howe, he was actually a better coach than he showed because he was at such a small budget team. And to do the things that you do at that level and getting the best out of your players we're going to see from Dyche with better players because do not get me wrong, and I said this when Frank was the coach, Everton are good. They have good players. This team is not a relegation team. Frank was that bad of a coach. Frank Lampard, I know all the pundits keep saying, what a nice guy, we care about him. They feel like they have to make a caveat. He's not a good coach. And he got good jobs, and he underperformed at those jobs. Dyche overperformed with poor teams and now he's in charge of Everton and you're going to see Everton knock the fucking teeth out of people and um and do really really well. 
Uh, for our, for Arsenal, this looked like a big drop. They are going to be over the moon with City losing and what happened to City. For them, it's a blip. For Arsenal, it's about, okay, we got knocked in the mouth. Um, we put a little blood in our mouth, actually, you know, similar to how they took that City game a couple weeks ago. Now, they're on two losses in a row, one in the FA Cup, now one in the league. But I think Arsenal will feel okay. Uh, again, it's about the reaction for Arsenal. Can they get back on it? They have to play again. They've got to get back on the schneid. Even now, though, with City losing, and we'll get to that after this, it's really fine. They'll move on. They're not going to have any problem getting past this. Still think Arsenal are on track to win the league. Arteta has always had a hard time at Goodison Park. Just something that's normal, something that Arsenal will have to deal with. They weren't going to only lose one game all year. It feels like... Yes, they lost to a team in a relegation zone, but Everton are not a relegation team. They had a relegation manager. Now they have a real manager, and all of a sudden, you know, basically Everton should probably finish. I'm going to go from 15 to 10 uh, at this point. They're better than where they are, and we move on to um, as much as as much as much um, Mike will probably say, oh, no one cares about Harry Kane, and Harry Kane should have been the story. We should call out Harry Kane uh, in the City game, Harry Kane breaks the record for goals from a Tottenham player. A massive, a massive deal. Um, Tottenham are a massive club. They've been around for 100 years. They're the London club along with Arsenal, uh, to be fair. Historically, Chelsea were not a big club. Up, I mean, they were, but they weren't as big. Uh, they, we, along with Arsenal, Spurs is the London club. And so to be the London club all-time goal scorer is huge. And um, he's passed Henri for goals in London. Um, I think his next big milestone will be Alan Shearer's goal record of 267 in the Premier League. They do not count Alan Shearer's goals when it wasn't the Premier League. Don't ask. It's fucking weird. Um, but um, I do want to give a shout out to Jimmy Greaves. Um, Jimmy Greaves is the 70s and 80s equivalent of Charles Barkley. He was a massive player, one of the greats of English goal scoring of all time, played at Inter Milan in the 60s when English players did not do that. Um, Greaves started at Chelsea, then went to Tottenham. Uh, he's also Chelsea's all-time scorer. I'm not even kidding. Or he's up there, or he was. Maybe maybe Frank Lampard. So Jimmy Greaves is a massive goal scorer, all-time, up near 400, maybe 360. I could look it up. Um, but he's more famous for having been on the equivalent of matches of the day. Uh, very funny, very cockney, a silly guy that people knew, most people in England know from his time on television versus seeing him as a player. He's on the 66 team, but famously did not play in the final. Uh, I believe he was hurt, but uh, a great, an all-time great, like, a, you know, just someone that should be remembered not for as, as a massive goal scorer. But again, as what happens to some players, they go on television, they become more famous for having been on TV. He's, your, he's a Terry Bradshaw type, right? Like, no one remembers Terry Bradshaw, but now we remember him because he played, he was on TV for so long. Um, famously, you know, Jimmy Greaves actually played for Chelsea, Spurs, and West Ham, all three London clubs, and Barnet, another London club, but he played for ages and ages, known for 
winning the title with Chelsea it, with with uh, Spurs in '61. So he does get a title with Spurs, something that they are uh, still still hoping for. Uh, actually, he didn't win the title. He's not on the Spurs winning title. He won the FA Cup twice, a European Cup winners' cup, and finished runner up uh, with Spurs. And he's on the World Cup eleven um, for England did finish third on the Ballon d'Or in 63. So someone to think about, someone to talk about, Jimmy Greaves. And I don't want to short shrift Harry Kane. What a player. Uh, I think what I think about with Harry Kane is he reminds me of Albert Pujols. So for those of you who are English, Albert Pujols uh, is an American baseball player, Dominican, came into the league, immediately hit the ground running, and essentially played at a best 11 level at a world top class level ball player for his Hulk for 15 years straight, just 300, 320, 35 home runs, 120 RBIs every year to the point that we take him for granted that he's great, that he was great. And so I think that's what's happened with Kane. You take for granted that he's metronomic. He's good for 25 goals, seven assists, seven to 10 assists, had amazing seasons. Two years ago, I think the Mourinho year, he was 21 and 15, like just absurd numbers. Uh, Mike could tell you better. And he's always, you know, feeling like he's um, he's short drifted. But you do think about it now. I mean, Harry Kane is now on year 15. I mean, year 10 of doing it. And he's just an amazing goal scorer um, that is forgotten. And I think I think we all respect that he stayed at Spurs a club that are not a historically great team since 1415. I mean, just an amazing run for Kane. He's in some sense hurting his legacy uh, because he does not have that moment of lifting a trophy. I know that's unfair. I know that's terrible. I know that we shouldn't play in rings culture, but moments matter. And so Kane does not have a moment. He doesn't have it. He does not have that trophy lift. Now, if he does do it, it will mean more. There's no doubt about it. He could have come to City and won the league. No doubt about it. No problem. But, you know, as he is now, he's on 200 and 300 games, an incredible number, uh, four spurs on 267. That's the number they broke. So two milestones on the same go, getting 200, a double century, and then breaking Jimmy Greaves' record in all competitions. An amazing player, Harry Kane, just doing it on year 10, 20 goals a year. Boom, 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 boom. Non-stop, non-stop. So we've got to love him. Uh, just an amazing player that we cannot forget. Um, before I get into Wolves uh, <laughs> and Liverpool, um, I just want to, you know, sort of thank everyone for the show. Please like and subscribe the show. Please share. Please get involved. Uh, I need every single one of you. So share the show. Like the show. Find it on YouTube under Laurent Cortines. Share it on squeakybumptime.com. If you want to be part of the WhatsApp group, let me know. Uh, on Squeaky Bum Time on Facebook, and I'll add you directly. But now we're going to go to the great and powerful um, Wolves. <laughs> um, I just don't know what to do about our friends in Liverpool anymore. 
this was disaster class level stuff from 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 Liverpool. Just that first 15 minutes was was comical. Um, I don't know where Liverpool go at this point. We've probably talked to death what has happened with Liverpool. We've talked about the midfield. We've talked about injuries. We've talked about the high line. We've talked about the pressing. We've talked about the intensity. We've talked about the mental anguish of playing all those games. We've talked about all those things. We've talked about the backroom staff sort of losing some of their bigger players and names and guys coming and going, all that stuff. There's one person who has not been questioned about their responsibility in this. And at this point, we have to start looking at Jurgen Klopp as well. Like, do you change? Do you do something different with your team? And do you have responsibility to change? Uh, in the face of this team not working. I uh, listened, I shared with the guys in the WhatsApp group, you know, where where does Klopp go from here? The identity of him, himself, of what he believes in philosophically, he cannot question it because the second he tells his team to drop off, play deep, and not press, and we're going to try and sit back and play on a break. The second he loses this team, this team is designed to press, harass, and play heavy metal football. And if they don't, who are they? Then Klopp should leave. It's the same way with Pep. If Pep is not playing possession, control football, what is he? What is he? Um, I realized I went into Kane and forgot to talk about the City game, so we'll we'll flop it around. And I'll talk about this Wolves-Liverpool game and then get into City. I think in my mind I wanted to pair the two teams together, um, City losing to uh, two Spurs 1-0 on Kane's goal, but Wolves and beating Liverpool. And I think that sort of pulls everything together. These two teams that have spent the last five years giving every ounce of blood sweat and tears to battling each other almost a yin and yang of Klopp's energy love and optimism versus pep's robotic technocratic um precision it's almost as though you have a uh a a, a perfect technological machine versus a virtuoso artist. And yes, I do give Liverpool the virtuoso artist. It's more on feel and more and less on numbers. And cities are just this perfect German precision. As Spanish as as Pep is, he's German on the inside in a weird way. So these two teams battling each other. And I think that the the, the slip of one has caused the slip of the other. Uh, it's as though they can't seem to muster up the fight one more time after giving everything uh, to each other in this sort of weird dances of fate. Um, I don't know why nobody watches this, but I, they, they have this kind of thing in uh, The Legend of Korra, which is something from the Avatar cartoon. You can see how much I've watched these shows with my daughter. But yeah, there's just an integral, intricate connection between these two teams and an intricate 
integral connection in how they're failing. They're both lacking a desire to kick on. Liverpool's is this inability to press anymore or to find that half a yard. And City's is an inability to be free. Uh, City play with the handbrake on constantly. They were afraid to have a game be out of control. Uh, and, and they play that way. City will hold on to the ball, go back and forth and sideways and hold on to it and hold on to it. In this game against Spurs, Holland did not take a shot. You have the greatest striker in the world, and he's not getting the ball. And Pep is messing with the players. No De Bruyne. Uh, kick Cancelo out. So everything is this sort of control thing where Pep wants to control everything. And everything with Klopp is, where where are you? Where Where is your passion? Where's your feeling? Where's your energy? And so between these two teams, City losing to Spurs for the fourth time in a row at New White Hard Lane, and then Liverpool's inability to put a good performance in on the road. I don't think any Liverpool fan thought that this was crazy. I don't think that any City fan thought that we'd pull this one out. I thought I thought for the City game, I thought that I thought that City would find the energy because of Arsenal's loss. Because they'd historically, whenever someone slips, they'd grab it. And at this time, they just weren't able to find a way forward um, in that space at all. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. I just could not believe it. Let's just go to some of our other friends. United defeating, um, United defeating Crystal Palace at home. Not really a difficult performance. Crystal Palace are fluttering right now. But uh, I will give the only thing to come out of this was Casemiro's red card from um, hands on the throat, but not a choke, in my opinion, a VAR check. They got a VAR penalty. So two VARs, VAR giveth, VAR taketh away. I hate VAR, in case anyone didn't know. Uh, John, good luck with VAR. Uh, again, Marcus Rashford. Just killing it. Scored a goal right in the middle of the goal. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> I don't know what the hell Crystal Palace was doing. But City, but um, yeah, United see it out in the end. A little bit of pressure at the end when they scored a, a really nice goal uh, on a flick in. But, you know, United cruising. They are now one point behind City quietly, methodically moving up the table. I don't think that they have a chance to catch... Um, Arsenal, Arsenal are too good, and United aren't ready. They don't have the depth. They the moment they have the moment they see a chance to be part of the title race, they'll drop points the next game. That's what happened last time. Maybe it'll happen this time. I do want to um, give a little shout out to our friends at Forest um, playing Leeds. They have killed Mister Jesse Marsh. Um, Jesse Marsh fired after the loss to Forrest. Um, Brendan Johnson's strike was incredible. And again, Steve Cooper, you absolute legend. Uh, did just, I think Forrest are now top of the table since the World Cup break down 11 points. Just, I mean, when you know football, you know how good Steve Cooper is and you just know he's going to turn his team around. You know, 30 players signed, could give a fuck. You know, they're staying up. They don't care. They've got it. They've got this thing in the bag. Wolves defeating Leeds and Jesse Marsh being fired. What does the Marsh firing mean? 
it means that it means that the English still don't respect an American coach. They don't get us as optimistic, uh, positive people. Uh, it doesn't seem real to us, uh, to them. They are used to dour uh, negative football. They want Dice. Dice is a football man. Pardue is a football man. Adeldice is a football man. Poolish is a football man. Jesse Marsh is not a football man. That's a, that's just perception. Um, now, Leeds fans do not like Jesse Marsh. <laughs> uh, I think there was a feeling that he was full of shit, uh, a feeling that he didn't understand what was needed defensively. Um, the underlying numbers flatter Leeds. It looks like they have a good uh, goal difference, but a lot of the XG that they accumulated was when when Leeds went behind. And uh, they were one of the worst XG against teams from open play. Basically, they were good in middle of the pack in almost any game state, but from open play, Leeds were the easiest team to get a chance against in the league. Fans notice that. Again, XG is not everything, but it gives you a look at what possibly happened. So if you go into the table for from open play, open play being non-set piece, non um you know non-set piece goals non-free kick goals just from play leads were the worst um at preventing xg so or up there pretty bad um and so they were relegation level defending and the chaotic nature of the way leads wanted to play did not make fans feel like there was a plan or they were in control or that the plan they had Marsh's plan was chaos, uh, believing that his players could run longer than yours because they were younger and fitter. Uh, and it didn't work. Um, while they had fun games and while they put shots on target, they just weren't getting wins. It's ultimately about results. And Jesse Marsh knows that they had lost. They, have, they were winless in nine. And I think, you know, he knows how football is. Even though leads were playing well, they weren't getting three points. Way too many draws, way too many forced comebacks, and just missed opportunities. And I think it's unfair and it's too bad um, for Jesse Marsh. But now the U.S. men's national team is in the front view mirror for him. He can take that job. The second he raises his hand, he'll get it. Uh, I did find the timing weird. So it seems like the transfer window closed and it brought in more players for Marsh to play how he wanted to. And he lost one game and then they sacked him. So it's all Marsh players, three Americans and Marsh, and now they're just there. So hopefully the next coach, uh, Kubaran from, um, from West Ham is a potential player who turned West Ham around from, you guessed it, Steve Bruce, another shit coach, another Frank Lampard. Men and Blazers, baby. Men and Blazers. The tingling. Old school. And so Marsh goes, and that is that for Mr. Marsh. He's gone. He's lost. We've lost him. And um, we say goodbye. Uh, you know, another American coach gets a shot and gets shot down. Um, we do. I do want to go through some of the other scores. Let's see where we are. Let me just check the time here. Uh, 35. 
35-50. Other scores. Let's look through the football table and get a little bit of juice on this one. Our friends from Brentford spank Southampton. Southampton are going down. Uh, Brentford with the home win. Not a problem there. Uh, Mbuemo with a goal. Uh, Norgard with a goal. Then super Kataro Matoma and Brighton take care of Bournemouth at home. Matoma's pure box office. I fucking love him. I cannot deal with how good he is. The second he leaves Brighton and he's on a bigger team, you're going to see like the greatest uh, mass Asian love fest for Kauro Matoma ever. He scores in the 87th minute on a header that he had no right to be there for. He's in space. He flicks it in. Bournemouth also, our friends, are going down. Bournemouth, Southampton, those are my two that I know are going down. <laughs> um, uh, then Aston Villa, weird loss. They go up. They they score two goals. This game was up and down in the first half. There were five goals scored. But Leicester showing a lot of fight uh, defeat. The mighty and powerful Aston Villa. Unai Emery's not going to like what happened in defense here. Watkins to go ahead. Then Madison draws them level. Suter on an own goal then to bring Aston Villa up 2-1. Then Ihanacho on a nice finish. Then new boy Tete. That dude is fast with Dennis Pratt finishing it off in the second half. So there are five goals in the first half, one in the second. A really bonkers game. And look at that. Leicester made some transfers. They didn't get a new goalkeeper. Oof. I don't like that, but uh, a really good, um, a really good, fun up and down game. Unai Emery's not going to like that one at all. They do play City next. Uh, I don't like Unai Emery on a loss playing City. Uh, I don't like where my team is at all. Uh, and then West Ham draw at home against. I'm sorry, Newcastle draw at home against West Ham. A tricky little game here. Newcastle looked really powerful, like they were going to blow West Ham out of the water, but they give up a goal. West Ham do come back into this game. Declan Rice bosses the midfield, gets a little control, and West Ham score a goal from Paqueta in the first half. Both goals scored in the first half. Callum Wilson scores a goal early, but uh, Newcastle are having a little trouble scoring goals. The quicker they can get Isak back, the better they need Bruno Gramarish back in because he does all their creativity. So look at here with Newcastle. They've got 10 draws, but still only one loss. They had the least laws in the Premier League. That's nuts. But 10 draws is just way, way too many. They're going to feel like those are all drop points. Um, and they just need a little bit more creativity to score the goals they need and move themselves forward. Wow. Um, let me just... Just note it one more time. Just get one last little summary here. Just so we're all on the same page. I'll run through the scores one last time. Just so you guys have them. The scores look like this. The early game. Friday. 1-1. Fulham versus Chelsea. I didn't even cover that game. <laughs> Chelsea with all their players. With Enzo Fernandez. With the whole gang there. Still a draw from Fulham. Fulham were better. Uh, Grand Potter still has a lot of work to do. It just seems like they don't know each other there in in, in Chelsea, and they're going to have to keep working their way back into it, despite the fact that they spent half a billion dollars. Where's the FFP there? I don't know. Weird. Then we talked about Everton 1, Arsenal nil. 
Challenge on? No, because City can't handle it. Brentford 3 with Southampton nil. Brighton 1, Bournemouth nil. And then Manchester United defeated Crystal Palace at home 2-1. Wolves defeated Liverpool 3-0. That was weird. Then Aston Villa 2, Leicester 4. Newcastle 1-1, I just talked about. Nottingham Forest 1-0 over Leeds. And City, the last game, lose to Spurs 1-0. But let's go to the table, shall we? I'm going to read off some things that you can just look up online. Uh, Arsenal still retain their five-point lead with a game in hand. City on 45, but they could get a 15-point deduction. Who the fuck knows? Uh, United on 42, but only a plus eight. Ooh, I don't like that. Newcastle on 40 with Tottenham sitting in fifth place, one point behind, but they have a game ahead. They're on 22 games. Live, uh City, United, and Newcastle on 21. So they really are game behind with Brighton with a game in hand on 34. Ooh, they could they're pushing in six. Brentford in seventh, Fulham, Chelsea, London, London. Look at all that London, Tottenham, Brighton, Brentford, Fulham, Chelsea, all in London. Six, seven, eight, nine. Chelsea, worst team in London. That's fucking weird. Liverpool in 10th, Aston Villa 11th, Crystal Palace. Oh, no, they're the worst team in London in 12th. Forest, Leicester, Wolves, West Ham. Oh, West Ham too. Leeds out of the relegation zone, 11th, 12th. 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, respectively. Leeds out of the relegation zone on goal difference only. So some of that play by Jesse Marsh was not all bad. Everton in the relegation zone on 18, Bournemouth on 17, and Southampton cut a drift. I think that we'll see Bournemouth and Southampton go down. And out of Wolves, West Ham, Leeds, and Everton... Leeds are the weakest because they don't have a manager. We know Nemoyes is not letting his team go down. Lopetegui was managing Real Madrid two months ago. <laughs> and um, Leeds is the one that still don't have good defenders. It's still a championship defense. So Leeds is the weak point. Uh, we know that Steve Cooper with Nottingham Forest is not going anywhere. And he's six points clear. Of the relegation zone. That is very, very, very impressive. So I hope that everyone likes and subscribes to the show. We got through City. I didn't cry. I wanted to cry, but I didn't. Sorry, Manny. Sorry, John. Uh, I didn't cry about my team losing. I did almost get very upset, but I held my nerve. <laughs> anyway, that was the squeaky bum time podcast i am laurent cortines we are the football wing of the chop sports channel and presented exclusively by the premier streaming network we record on mondays and thursdays so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode if you're listening on apple please rate and review the show if you want to listen on, on youtube the show will come out right after it's published on podcast so you can find it there Thank you.